1990, Saddam Hussein invaded the little nation of Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, knowing it would be next on Saddam's hit list, picked up the phone and called Washington and asked for help. Now, regardless of your political persuasion, you'd probably have to agree that on that occasion, President Bush, then President Bush, uh, that, that would have been um, the first President Bush, was at his best. Because President Bush picked up his phone and called England and Canada and Spain and France and Italy and Turkey and a number of other countries around the world, and he built that famous coalition. Men and women from different backgrounds and races and classes and cultures and personalities all gathered in the Gulf with one singularly focused purpose and agenda, to draw a line in the sand, and by that I mean to serve notice on this madman that not only could he not take any more territory, but that he would have to relinquish the territory that he'd already taken. You remember that story, those of you who were alive in 1990. The more territory that uh, he would have to relinquish uh, would be those surrounding countries that he had already entered. The coalition was to serve notice that his days of rule in the Gulf were over. Now there's a, another madman in history, and he's called the devil. He's come on territory that he's not created, that he doesn't own. He's brought with him death and disease and destruction. But God has responded by building his own coalition. And that coalition is made up of black folks and white folks and red people and yellow people, made up of tall people and short people and people from various classes and backgrounds to draw a line in the sand to serve notice on this mad one that not only can he not take over more territory, he's got to relinquish the territory that he already has taken over. And that coalition is called the church with a capital C. Are you with me so far? Are you? Okay, I need a little help here from time to time. <clears throat> Our soldiers back in 1990 showed up with new high-tech weaponry, and when Saddam Hussein looked across and saw 5,000 
hundred-thousand men and women with all this new high-tech weaponry and gadgetry, you know his mama didn't raise any dummies. He said, I need a plan B. And so that's when he launched Scud missile attacks on Israel. His strategy, it seems, was to draw Israel into the war in order to split the coalition, believing that if he could draw Israel into the war, his Arab brothers wouldn't fight against another Arab brother alongside their arch enemy, Israel, a common enemy. And so he launched Scud missile attacks to split the coalition. And of course, that's when the heroes of the war showed up. Do you remember? Patriot missiles. They, they were electronically released from their silos and met the scuds in heavenly places. There was a war fought in the heavenly places. And because the coalition held, the war ended in just a few days. The Simmons family had a, had a hand in that war, in that battle in the heavenly places. Our girls had to get jobs in the summer from college. <clears throat> we put Ani to work in a factory one summer, and part of her job was to make missile parts, Patriot missile parts. And so when those bombs or those missiles attacked, attacked those Scud missiles, they had Ani's name on it. They were battling in the heavenly, heavenly realms. You see, when you're in a war, you don't care about the color or the class or the culture of the man or woman fighting next to you as long as he's shooting in the same direction that you're shooting, right? Right? Now, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, let me remind you that you're in a war. The army that we're a part of is made up of people who are different from you, different from me. We may have all come over here on different ships, <clears throat> but we're all on the same ship today. America is still dealing with the segregation issue. <clears throat> they say, and it's true, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in America. The problem that we face is that the people of God are not holding the standard of God high enough. That society can see that God has created one body with a lot of different looking faces, and unless we're willing to transcend, unless we're willing to rise above the efforts 
and the intimidations of the enemy to allow history, uh, background, culture, class, and all the other human idiosyncrasies to divide the common call of Christ, then we'll never see the impact of the church in reclaiming our culture. Now, make, make no mistake about it, folks, it won't come because of our political affiliation, for God doesn't ride the back of donkeys or elephants. He really doesn't. The solutions to our problems won't be delivered on Air Force One. <clears throat> kind of reminds me of a story of Joshua when he was all dressed up in his battle array. He was ready to go to war, and the setting is in Joshua chapter 5. He came across the man who was getting ready to go into battle himself. He was this huge guy. He was captain of a large army. Joshua looked up at him, and he asked in verse 13, Whose side are you on? Before I go to war, I want to know whose side you're on, because if you're on their side, then we're going to lose the battle for sure. You're a big guy. If you're on our side, we, we, then we have help to win the fight. So whose side are you on, he says. The man looked at him and said in verses 14 and 15, obviously you're thoroughly confused about this whole situation. I'm not on either side, nor am I on their side. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm captain of the Lord's army. <clears throat> I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. Now, take off your shoes because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. I don't know if you remember the story or not. In Joshua chapter 5, it would be good for you to go read that story again this afternoon. You see, that's God's agenda. He didn't come to take sides today. He came to take over our lives. Amen? He didn't come to distinguish between Nazarenes and Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians and Pentecostals. He came to take over. He came to set a whole new agenda <clears throat> that all of his armed forces have, have got to operate under. It's amazing how when we come to a worship service like this, we can be one in understanding that there's only one army here, not understanding that God has called a coalition to operate in His unified way because, brothers and sisters, the test of the power in this room is not measured inside this room. Whether we're black or white, Hispanic or Asian, doesn't make any difference. <clears throat> Whether we have an outgoing personality or an ingrown personality, there's only one color that matters, and that's the color red, the precious color red by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, you may wonder 
What's he talking about this morning? Well, I opted not to go with the, <clears throat> with the gospel lesson today to preach on that, and it may be that I should have. But this is a pivotal weekend in, in our country. This weekend there have been parades marking uh, Martin Luther King's um, life and death. There have been specials on TV. And I thought we don't talk enough about this whole issue of, of what we are and who we are and our differences and how God has created us to be who we are and what, uh, what He wants us to do. And so I thought I would tackle this this morning. You see, <clears throat> Peter was a man who had come face, face to face with this same problem, this problem of diversity, this problem of difference, this problem of unity. Peter was a, a staunch Jew. He was a super Jew. He was, he was proud to be Jewish. He was committed to being Jewish. He was faithfully Jewish. <clears throat> One day, while he was having his devotions on, on top of the roof of a house in Acts chapter 10, God gave him a vision of a, in this vision, it was a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with all manner of food on it, all kinds of different food. And Peter said in verse 14, oh, not so, Lord, not so. I, I, I can't eat that unclean food, the food that's the Gentile food. God then gave him the lesson of a lifetime. He said, don't call unclean what I call clean. You remember the story there in, in the uh, passage? He said, don't use your past standards to govern your present, uh, present situation, your present actions. He said, this is a new ball game. I've created a new entity, and I've called it the church. In fact, this vision occurred three separate times, I think in order that Peter would get the message. He was then sent down to the home of a fellow by the name of Cornelius, where he introduced, was, he introduced Gentiles to the new reality of a king. This cross-cultural experience of the Jew and the Gentiles made such a great impact that he even went over to, to eat with the Gentiles on, on their side of town. And that dinner event is recorded in Galatians chapter 2, which is my text for this morning. Finally, he had a chance to eat some Gentile soul food, and it looked awfully good. Gentile soul food, like 
pork chops and chitlins and and a whole bunch of other things. Maybe maybe it was burritos and lots of hot salsa and or maybe it was curry and I I, I don't know what kind of of soul food it was, but it was it was nice and hot and it was really good. And I I see I ought not to go on too much about food right now. He always wanted to know what all that kind of good soul food tasted like, <clears throat> and there he had his opportunity, and it was ordained by God. And so we find him dining with the Gentiles, finding out he could have fellowship with people who was different than he was, finding out what all the hoopla was about regarding their background and their history and their worldview and their diet. What he was finding out was all the good cooking he'd been missing out on all these years as an observant Jew. That's what he found out. And so in Galatians chapter 2, we find him dining with the Gentiles, enjoying a glorious, sumptuous, marvelous meal. In fact, he'd even brought some of his Jewish friends along with him, and they were all seated and dining together. But a problem occurs in verse 12. If you got your scripture open, follow along with me. It says, <clears throat> before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now that needs a little explanation. Peter, the super Jew, was there dining with his new brothers and sisters in, in Christ, the Gentiles. All was fine until some of his Jewish friends from the hood showed up, and some of those Jewish friends sent by James were were getting on his case for, for what he was doing. They said something like, how dare you, Peter? How, don't you know we don't do that in this neighborhood? Don't you know that in this neighborhood we don't, we don't fraternize with, with Gentiles? Don't you know that? I, I know we're all one in Christ when we, when we go to church and all that, but but Peter, let's get practical. In this neighborhood, we don't do that. How could you, Peter? And then it says, and Peter was afraid of the circumcision group. The text says he was afraid of what his other brothers in Christ thought. what the rest of the family of God felt. <clears throat> he disregarded the truth of the Word of God told to him back at Acts chapter 10, and it says that 
Look at the scripture. It says he withdrew himself. In other words, he left. Now, you have to understand this isn't any small withdrawal. This is Peter really leaving, really withdrawing. Whenever you see the list of disciples in the New Testament, Peter's name is always first because he was the leader of the disciples. So when he withdrew, it says in verse 13, that the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. I'm, I, I'm not adding words here. This is what it says. In his hypocrisy. And this resulted in even Barnabas being led astray by their hypocrisy. <clears throat> Peter's the leader. Let, let me put it this way. When there's a mist in the pulpit, there's usually fog in the pew. What do you mean, Pastor? When, when a pastor fails as a leader to lead, centered on the Bible, on the Word of God, his congregation generally follows. When there's a mist in the pulpit, there's usually fog in the pew. The great tragedy of our day, that, that is not the case here, folks. Let me just hasten to say that. That's not the case with the pastor of this church. But it is in so many cases <clears throat> here in Dallas and around the country. The great tragedy of our day is that many of our pulpits have failed to deal with the issue of diversity, so our pews don't know what to do about the issue of diversity. And it doesn't know what to do because the church has not come to grips with this issue. And because the church has not come to grips with the issue, the people of God have failed to be exclusionary, inclusionary when it comes to the oneness of the body of Christ. So, the Scripture says Peter withdrew and the rest of the Jews went with him. It's interesting that the text says, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Let me, let me pull that apart a minute. Even Barnabas was led astray. Not, not our boy Barnabas. Not our boy Barney. Think about it. Barnabas. He was raised in Cyprus. Cyprus was a Gentile colony. So he was raised with Gentiles. He went to school with Gentiles. 
He played ball with Gentiles. That's how bad racism is. It can take a good man and make him bad. Am I all right? Barnabas, the encourager, that, that's, remember that's what his nickname was, Barnabas the encourager, is now one of the ones to withdraw because of the pressure, the power, the potency of failed Christianity. Led by Peter, influenced by his own race, <clears throat> he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for one thing. <clears throat> Paul wanted some pork chops too. Think about it. The text in verse 11 says that Paul showed up, and when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was wrong. He says in verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In other words, <clears throat> you're, you've got inconsistent Christianity. Wow. Now, I want you to notice his response. How did he deal with racism and classism and <clears throat> culturalism? How did he deal with it? Did he have a workshop on race relations? Did he go to a seminar on unity? No. The text says, when I saw him, I opposed him in front of them all to his face, I opposed him personally, publicly. I opposed him biblically. That's the way we're supposed to do it. You see, we have failed to treat this issue as a sin, the issue of racism. We called it a cultural orientation. We called it a historical backdrop. We've given it names of heritage and history. We've not called it what it is, what Paul called it. He called it sin. It's nothing short of sin. To relate to a brother or a sister in Jesus Christ and to determine your walk with them based on what, what neighborhood they were raised in, the color of their skin, or their cultural distinctiveness is sin. And sin doesn't need seminars. Sin needs repentance. Sin doesn't need workshops. Sin needs repentance. That'd be a good place to say amen if one was so inclined. Tony Evans, down here at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, have you ever heard of Tony Evans? great, great man of God. <clears throat> he said a while back that he has a lot of whites who've started coming to 
his uh, church in South Dallas, one of his black members was getting very upset about all these whites coming. That's a change, isn't it? All these whites were starting to come to his church. He said, Pastor, I'm upset. We've got too many whites coming to our church, and you know how they are. No, how are they? Well, after a while, they're going to try and take over. I'm just remembering. Tony said, well, then you better do a lot of black evangelism and keep blacks coming in here. The uh, member of his church said, well, I don't like it, and I'm leaving. I heard that one before. And Dr. Evans said, well, bye. He didn't need a seminar. He didn't need a workshop. He didn't need a sensitivity session. He needed the Word of God, and the Word was already told him what to say. He needed repentance. It's amazing when we deal with other sins, like stealing, for example. We jump right into it and virtually any other sin. But when it comes to this sin, we negotiate it. We say, now, wait a minute. I think you're being a little too hard on Peter, Pastor Bob, because, after all, <clears throat> Peter was probably raised this way. You know, uh, the Jews that came to him were raised that way too, and you can't expect him to get over how he was raised in a minute. It's his history. It's his heritage. But, Pete, uh, but Paul says, unless you learn to hate your mother, see, if your mother and father taught you, don't like those people over there, when you come to Jesus Christ, he says you've got to reject your mother at that point. You must hate any value system, even if it comes through your parents, that doesn't come in concert with the Word of God. So, Mom and Dad, that's how you raised me, but that's where you're wrong. Until we get that kind of Christianity, that kind of radical Christianity, where we're willing to cross the divide of racial, culture, class, denominational differences, then we'll never see the Spirit-empowered church because God will never endorse disunity. Now, don't understand me. I'm not suggesting that God is trying to <clears throat> amalgamate us to make us all the same, to cut us all from the same cookie cutter. Not at all. I don't mean that at all. Whatever race you are now, did you know you're going to be the same race in heaven? Did you know that? John talks about it in the Revelation. If you're white now, you're going to be white in heaven. 
If you're African-American now, you'll be African-American in heaven. If you're Hispanic now, you're going to be Hispanic in heaven. Why? Because John said, when I saw that host that no man could number, what I saw was men from every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. Whatever you are now is what you will be. So, folks, you better start practicing now because practice makes perfect. Right? The issue is not to let what you are now get in the way of what God has called you to be. And he's called all of us to be his committed children, even before the committed parts of a particular group existed in creation. Black is only beautiful if it's biblical, and white is only right if it agrees with God's holy word. Amen? Unless we subject our humanity to Christ's deity, we're a failed people of God. God's not attempting to amalgamate us. He's attempting to position us under one authority. He's not asking you to be, uh, to, to, to like soul music. He's not asking me to like country and western, thank God. Man, they woke up. What he's asking is that we be the people of God first. <clears throat> you know what we're going to be singing in heaven? Hallelujah. Hallelujah before the throne of God. And that means it's got to start with you and me. Right there where you are and where I am. Don't wait until the rest of the church gets it straight. It's got to start with you and your attitudes and me and my attitudes. Because if you're, you're a messed up person and you have a family, then you're going to help make a messed up family. And if your family goes to church, your messed up family is going to contribute to a messed up church. And on and on, and then your messed up self and family and church will contribute to a messed up neighborhood, which will contribute to a messed up city, which will lead to a messed up state, and that will contribute to a messed up nation and a world. So if you want a better world composed of better countries, inhabited by better states, composed of better cities, in, in, inhabited by a better neighborhoods, illuminated by better churches, made up of better families, you better start right where you are in becoming a better person. It starts with you and me where we are right here today. Some of my challenges for you today is for when we dismiss this morning, <clears throat> when we stand and break huddle this morning and go back home, when you go back to your families and your communities, your neighborhoods, go back taking with you all the diversity that God created in the, in the 
diversity, the, the, the magnanimous spirit, the magnanimous plan that God has created and making sure that nothing interrupts biblical unity where you are. Remember, it was unity that eventually defeated Saddam Hussein. My challenge is that you accept and address people based on their spiritual content, <clears throat> not their physical appearance or their denominational title. That sound reasonable? That the content of their spiritual character and not the color of their visible flesh will determine the joy that you have in your coming together to worship the Lord. When I was growing up, my favorite program was Superman. That little round 12-inch black and white TV, as soon as Superman came on uh, television, I was glued. Superman. I loved Superman. I had the cape. Mom and Dad thought I was going to jump out the window of the second floor one day. Now, of course, Clark Kent was a bumbling idiot. Lots of, uh, lots of kids wanted to, be, wanted to be Superman, but Clark Kent was just stupid. <clears throat> Lois Lane couldn't stand him. <coughs> Perry White wouldn't use him. Jimmy Olsen would make fun of him, but don't let him into a telephone booth. The criminal element of uh, Metropolis would come out and wreak havoc in the city, and the Daily Planet would get the story, and somebody would say, where's Superman? Remember the story? Now, you younger folks wouldn't remember. This is back in the black and white days, early Clark, went, uh, Clark Kent would uh, get the word. He'd go inside some closet or some booth and come out with a red and white jumpsuit on. And now he, would, he wasn't Clark Kent anymore. In fact, he was totally different because he was now faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a... This guy could leap. Tall buildings at a single bound. He goes streaking across the sky, and the TV says, It's a bird. No, it's a plane. Uh-uh, it's Superman. You watched it too, didn't you? And now, all of a sudden, the topography of the land has changed. Now, all of a sudden, things became different in the city where where he lived. Why? Because this man could catch bullets in his bare hands. I've seen him do it. He, he could break the nozzles of guns, just bend them. He, he, he would take knives and, and bend them. Why? Why? Because he wasn't from here. He was from a place called Krypton. But when he brought the power of that sphere 
and made it work down here in this sphere, he was able to change this place to look like that sphere because the power of there lived down here. He was able to transform the environment in which he lived. Are you with me? Many of us need to take a trip to God's telephone booth. Did you hear me? We need to take off that old way of thinking, that old way of walking, that old way of talking, that old way of relating, and we need to come out with a big S on our chest. You know what I'm, you know I'm right. Now that S doesn't mean that you're Superman, but it does mean that you're saved. Amen? That S doesn't mean that you're Superman, but it does mean that you're sanctified. That S doesn't mean that you're Superman, but it does mean if you're saved and sanctified, it does mean you're a saint. You're God's saint here. So when you go back home and people see you coming, they say, it's a bird. No. It's a plane. No. It's God, God's super saved, sanctified saint that doesn't see any color but the red blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Heavenly Father, help us to be your saved, sanctified super saved saint that doesn't see any color but the blood of Jesus. Our world needs you so desperately. Help us to get out of our little small world and get into the world of of seeing people with the needs that they have and being what you need us to be to them. In Christ's name we pray, amen.